budget isn't the variable of success. Being consumer centric is. Our industry is getting really far away from that. The Barbie execution won on different relevance points. Like, we're not trading on relevance enough. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Please give a warm welcome as he makes his way to the stage. It's Gary V. Gary, I would welcome you to Australia, but you know this territory very well, don't you? Yeah, first of all, thank you so much. Uh, It's really, really, really nice to be with everybody. Uh, Yeah, I grew up in the wine business. Um, I launched an e-commerce wine uh, site for my father's liquor store business in 1997, and so I was a very early advocate of the expansion of Australian and New Zealand wines in the late 90s and early 2000s, so I've been here many, many, many times and have spent tons of time in Hunter Valley and Margaret River and Barossa and other places, and so um, it's, it's really one of my favorite places in the world, and it's really nice to be here. So we have a room here of, there's, a, there's just over a billion dollars worth of budget in this room. It's, it's actually insane. I'm interested. So, so I, this is gonna be a discussion if you guys want it to be. So stick your hand up, there's people with mics around, they'll give you, they'll give you a mic and then I'll, I'll, I'll throw to you when I'm, when I'm ready. But you are the best in the world, I think by a long way, at being able to see around corners in the marketing space. So to the billion dollars in the room, what is it around the corner? You know, it's interesting. I, I don't think that I actually see around corners. I think our, you agree? <laughs> uh, I think that this, you know, it's, I grew up marketing in a manner that was very focused on driving sales because I don't know if any of you have a Soviet immigrant father that owns a business, but my father wasn't super interested in awards. He was interested in what was happening at the cast register. I also knew that my dad was only 22 years older than me and this whole concept he told me, which is like, when I die, you get the business. I also know he has pretty good genetics. I was like, Dad, you're gonna be 90, I'm gonna be 70. I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to do something for myself one day. So, you know, the first 15, 20 years of my marketing career, I was trying to drive day-to-day sales, but I was trying to build a brand because I knew there'd be a day I would leave and I wanted to leave it in the best place that it could be. And so, when I got into the Fortune 500 marketing world 14 years ago, one of the more interesting observations I had pretty quickly, and definitely the answer to this question is, I don't think I really see around corners. I think our industry is incredibly good at putting yesterday on a pedestal and putting tomorrow on a pedestal and struggling to maximize today. And for me, you know, things like making real commitment to social media, creative and media isn't around the corner. When I get credit for being right about TikTok, it had hundreds of millions of users. That's not seeing around the corner, that's understanding that this was hitting scale, but the big companies in the world weren't doing it because it wasn't measured yet. And if it's not measured, it's not being done, even if, the consumer's attention is there. And in that delta is where I tend to play. Um, 
That being said, I spend enormous time paying attention to things like AI or the metaverse and things of that nature. I just don't like spending actual execution dollars on it because I don't think the consumer attention's there versus the value. So, you know, I appreciate that. I, I do feel like I've done well in first mover advantage and things of that nature, but one of the things I'm most proud of is I don't have too many things that I've been horribly wrong about and it's not because I'm smart, it's because I only talk about things that already happened. (laughs) So, I think you're telling half the truth because you fucking stay around corners. I can name a number of examples. But can we get some hands, please, who's got a question so we can get a mic to you? Okay, we'll go there. But I'm going to ask you one question before we, we get that one. You have, VaynerMedia is such an incredible agency, I don't even know if you call it an agency, but it's all over the world and you work with the most incredible brands doing the most incredible things. So you have exposure to CMOs all over the world. What is different, or what do you notice that's different about Australian CMOs to the rest of the world? You know, nothing that I think is so profound. I think CMOs continue to be challenged by the same things. My, my biggest hope and dream for all the CMOs, Australia and every other part of the world, it, you know, starting to have the real conversation of putting them in a position to succeed where if, if we can get the CMOs around the world to start pressuring agencies to bring back media and creative under one roof, well then we can actually hold the agencies accountable to actually driving our business, which then will make us much more popular with our CEOs and board members. You know, my career, because of all the things I did before and in parallel to what I'm doing with the advertising agency, I tend to spend a lot of time with the CEOs and the board members of the Fortune 500 companies, and their frustration is the reporting that is happening within their own companies, and I keep yelling at them, I'm like, you're the CEO, it's your fault. But, you know, I I do think Australia, more than other parts of the world skews a little bit more academic when it comes to marketing. I think there's more conversation of the academia of it uh, that stands out. But I mean, this is what a very dynamic market. We, you know, we wanted to end this, enter this market because for us, we, we like underpriced media. And there's a lot of arbitrages in this country because I do think that there's still too big of an allocation to traditional media. And so there's a lot of opportunity within influencer or biddable social. I think when you think about what's going with, on with streaming and seven plus and things of that nature, I think TV's gonna change very rapidly here in everybody's faces over the next five to 10 years. And so I, I think the opportunity's high. I think the creativity is very strong, but I think the creativity is only interesting if it's actually consumed. What do you mean? I mean that the, it, our industry globally, not just here, um, is very infatuated with GRPs and CPMs that aren't actually being seen by human beings. Okay, there we go. Question. Hi Gary, uh, my name is Jack. For context, we've just had Advertising Week uh, in Australia, yep, which obviously brings yep. uh, all the great marketing minds together. Uh, a lot of the conversation was around AI data. Yes. Um, but what I found really interesting was AI, and please correct me and tell me if this is true or not, that it currently responds to uh, white male as if it, in terms of the results and how it speaks. How do we, as a society and also AI, uh, grow and adapt to make sure that we're 
aligning with the humanity and also the social conversation and progress that we see rather than AI just speaking to a white male. Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's speaking to a white male. The the conversation that is fascinating about this is people are talking about, you know, the inputs and how the you know the data is being structured. You know, I keep trying to remind people like everything has prejudice. There's nothing in the world that doesn't. I think the cool thing is is that the blockchain and AI are are open opportunities for people to create the data sets. And so it's not catering to white males, it's that a lot of white males have been working on the technology, right? So, you know, I think this stems to much bigger infrastructural things. This talks about education, this talks about a million different variables that society has been struggling with since the dawn of society. Um, you know, I, to me, People are like, oh, we need to make sure this AI is not spitting out things that aren't balanced. I'm like, all of the content that the world is consuming is not balanced. <laughs> There's nothing that's balanced. It's the nature of the flaw of the human. I think what's more interesting is when are human beings going to finally start falling in love with accountability? Instead of us spending all of our time being mad at media, and social media, influencers, and algorithms. Maybe it's time to start having conversations about humanity's capacity to take in multiple data sets and actually make decisions for themselves. Maybe the bigger issue is that we like blaming things that are exposing our truth. So I'm gonna, we've got a question there. We've, we, Gus, we've got a question there. Um, before we get to that, I'm going to keep picking on AI. Okay. <laughs> if I'm a marketer right now, yes. What the fuck do I do with AI? Probably not much. Like you, you should be educated. You shouldn't say no. There's not a person in this room, given what they do for a living and where they are in their careers, that shouldn't be playing with AI probably on a weekly basis given how massive of a technology it's gonna be that's just gonna affect your life. Forget about your professional career. Not playing with AI today would be like the people you made fun of 25 years ago not going on the internet. You know, like it's really funny watching people deal with AI or the blockchain. They, like people are so in love with no, they hate change so much that most people don't realize they've become their parents. Right, the thing you made fun of your parents for, of like not knowing how to use email, or, or not wanting to go away from the Blackberry to the iPhone, or all the things that you've spent the last 30 years making fun of, you've now become. You know, and so I would encourage people to play with it because your personal subjective opinion of technology has no impact on technology and what it's going to do. And so I think that people should be playing with it, but there's a lot to go with AI, for example, all of us, if you're paying a little bit of attention, are aware that generative creative is gonna be a very big deal. The reason for a lot of people in this room we can't go there yet is we all know that the copyright and trademark issues are looming and big companies can't be posting that creative yet because there's liability. But that doesn't mean you can't start doing it maybe for some internal use to build decks and play with. So I would just say like, it, this is a training wheels phase, right? And really, you should be doing this for yourself because there is no outcome where this technology is not profoundly important and I think 
that is the bigger issue um, and opportunity. Hey, sir. Hello. Um, I loved your What's comment. What's your name? Cam. Cam. Um, I Cam loved from where? Comment. Introduce I'm yourself from, properly. I'm from Optus. I run consumer marketing Optus. I used to work with Mel. She yep. left me. It's very sad. Um, <laughs> uh, Everybody that Mel's ever left has been pretty yeah, sad. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's rough. I loved your comment about bringing media and creative back together. Yes, how, how do you think about finding creative talent that wants to work in that type of environment and how do you foster a creative culture that needs to be responsive to results and not the cigarette smoking, I'm an artist creative that from yesterday? That is a very smart question. No question the biggest challenge. So Vayner Media started 14 years ago. I owned a, I owned, I, I ran a wine retail business for my father um, and then I started the agency. I knew nothing, I've never heard of anything that I now know of in this industry. I didn't even know that media and creative was separate. Uh, and in 14 years we built a company that has 2,000 employees and is a very large agency globally. And by far the biggest challenge in those 14 years is to give creatives more self-esteem. It is stunning how insecure the creative directors of ad agencies are around the world and the lack of humility and curiosity is devastating. And the retraining of all the creatives that we hire from the most iconic shops um, is extremely challenging. They'd much rather believe that their subjective opinion in a boardroom is right than black and white quant and qual data. And so, you know, we do it with empathy, with a lot of training, with a lot of, you know, for us what's working is, three years ago we made a pretty substantial decision which was every single creative globally would make creative every day. So our entire creative department globally actually makes creative every day. And as we all know, because we're in the industry, most creative shops are not in the business of making actual creative, they're in the business of making decks and pitching ideas and then you then get a company to make the production. As we've been able to get these creatives to start making, it's been really fascinating. That has been the breakthrough for us, to answer your question. Because they are now living in a more merit-based world, they're starting to get more excited about it. Some, I mean, many quit. You know, people, people really want to, so we've done more Super Bowl spots in America in the last four years than any creative agency, which is like a brain twist for everybody because we're so positioned as social. But as it's happening, now people, and we have a very good culture, like actually, no bullshit. So we're, we're, we're rolling now. We get the inbound from Wyden and Crispin and Droga, senior creative people. And they all talk that shit to me when I interview them. They're like, I'm fucking ready. I'm done with this fucking industry. It's all bullshit. I'm coming. And when they come, in their first creative meeting, when somebody who's 23 years old has a different opinion and they talk up, they're stunned. They're like, what the fuck are you doing talking? And I remind them, like, no, no, you just told me you were ready for this. (laughs) They're not ready for this. It's much more fun when they just get to pontificate their, you know, great ideas can come from anywhere, they like to say. But they don't live that life. And so it's a real challenge. It's, it's one of the biggest investments we make. It's enormous amounts of training. Predominantly, it is therapy. <laughs> and, um, and we actually make that. You know, we really actually train that way. We put in a ton of time in the upfront hiring. We like really try to tell people, we're like, listen, you're not gonna like this. 
your opinion does not matter more. You make and then six people, and you have no idea how to make social media creative. So we're gonna train you, but like, are you really ready for this level of merit? And the answer is almost none of them are. So tell me the difference then between creating good creative on outdoor and TV and bad creative on outdoor and TV versus good creative on social or bad creative on social. So what, what is the difference when you execute either way on either side? You can't hide in social. You post and real stuff happens. And when you post something bad on socials, it goes nowhere. Right. If you post something, put something bad on a billboard. We make pretend it did well. (laughs) Because you know, 6,000 cars drove by it and 3.7 people are in every fucking car. So then, okay, it's, it's a, what, you're, what you're talking about is this new world where you're accountable for your creative. That is very terrifying for a, every CMO because it's like, how do I hire for that? How do I build for that? that? That is a lot of fucking work. I actually think this is what CMOs subconsciously want to lean into. I think it's way more scary with the tenureship of CMOs around the world. I actually think leaning into accountability and measurement would actually free us up. Like we as an agency beg and plead for our clients to give us media and creative and hold us accountable to the business results at the end of the year. That's how I built my whole company. Anytime we don't, we're vulnerable. We're always vulnerable, you know? We've got a question in the corner. Yes, sir. Twitter, Twitter rebrand. Yes. Uh, comments. <laughs> I think the Twitter rebrand's interesting. I, I think for all of us, like intuitively, it's like, fuck, that's giving up a lot of brand, right? But I understand the logic of why doing it because a lot of people have in here have had the experience of trying to rebrand or create new products and features under a brand. And for a lot of consumers, they already know you as something and it's really hard to convince them you're gonna do these six other things. So I think, look, I think there's some, you know, he, (laughs) I think he has a lot of emotion for X.com that he bought a long time ago and was probably looking for a use for it. I think that comes along with being that kind of entrepreneur. But the logic is that they're gonna try to build a full stack, multi-dimensional new app and I think the strategy there is if we start with a fresh slate, there's more acceptance of it being able to do that. And look, at the end of the day, that story is gonna be written based on the execution, right? Naming is funny because at the end of the day, names are executed. If Google was a shitty company and didn't do well, you could, that name sucks. But because it wasn't, it doesn't suck, right? McDonald's is a local pub in Ireland or a global QSR giant. The execution made the name there. So I think, to me, I think what happens in the next five years on execution will then tell the story about the rebrand, but that's a lot of brand equity to give up. We heard from Nick at Twilio at the start talk about a cookie-less world. What is life going to be like and what do we need to be thinking about post iOS 14, iOS 15? Well, first of all, most big brands in the world don't live in that world anyway. There's no cookies on TV. There's no cookies on outdoor. There's no cookies on direct mail or print or event marketing. So, you know, I think in a digital landscape, it 
forces brands to realize that the creative variable right now is a very big uh, conversation. A post iOS 14.5 world also collided at the same time with the TikTokification of every social network. So for the first time in the history of marketing, the creative variable creates reach. Think about how fascinating that is for all of us. For the first time ever, the actual quality of the creative working on consumers creates the reach. That is a profoundly important conversation. It also leads to how the best companies right now currently are attacking the iOS 14.5 issue. The best DTC brands and performance brands are winning on a very aggressive organic social strategy that extracts when creative over indexes or goes viral and then they convert that creative into performance ads because the intent and interest in that creative has been affirmed by the reality of it doing well with the actual consumer. The, the fact that we could use modern social creatively to mitigate our risk on both performance and campaign work is a golden goose, but the disrespect for social media creative by the overall global marketing industry is not letting us take advantage of it. Hey. Hey, you're um, back? Yeah, I'm, I'm back. Sorry, I hope, I hope that's okay. Um, you're so, just not passing the mic. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. That, that, I get they, it. Take it if they want it, yeah. Um, so right now, all the big management consultancy all firms, the management consultancy yes. firms, all BCG, McKinsey, all rolling around with their AI. Yes. Here's how you change the structure of your marketing team. Yes. Here's what you do, and it's going to save you all this money. Yes. And you can fire a bunch of people, and isn't that amazing? Yes. Um, what? And you know, here's how you optimize all your social creative. And yes. Da 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 da. What? And it, it feels like the advertising industry, marketing industry, is like a step behind on this. What, what, what is your response to the CEO that says, why shouldn't I do this? Like, why shouldn't I take those 15 people and turn that into one person who knows how to prompt this and let machines run all this? Like, like the, the see around the corner thing, like what's, what's, what's going to slow the roll or, or where's this thing going with management consultancy firms I think here? It's frustrating because most of the companies here are run by their CFOs against a stock price every 90 days. That's the least creative thing on earth. You know, and so we're, we've, that's the reality of what big business looks like in today's world. Um, and a lot of those CEOs used to work at McKinsey. And so it's all in the family. And so, you know, what's my answer to that? It's gonna be something in between. I think people that don't bring value always get put out of business by technology. And so it'll be an in between. I mean, I think for a long time you're still gonna need the creative, but if you are in the business of just executing somebody else's idea in Adobe, like, you're gonna be hurt. If you're the person coming up with the idea, you'll, you've, you're gonna be able to stick around a little bit longer. So I think, you know, I think there's gonna be validity to it. I think a lot of people are always looking for excuses to cut costs, aka people, and some of them will run with it, and other people will realize that that's not the place to cut costs. So I think you're gonna see a mix in between. Got a question here? You're oh, sorry, 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 sorry. 
I'm going to be controversial. And Suzanne, I think we all can agree that the Barbie campaign has been extremely successful. Yes. But Gary, yes. if you were to execute the Barbie campaign as it was today, what is one more thing that you would have done to make it even more successful? I mean, you know, you're literally talking about a campaign that I called Richard you know, the, the, the former CEO, he's obviously going to Gap now to be the CEO and said, this was just so well done. You know, I mean, I, I haven't looked at it enough. Like, there's nothing in the world of marketing that didn't have an opportunity to do something else. But that, the 360 nature of that campaign was so well done and the mix of the digital world of like the digital stuff they did. The I think the thing that I, took away from it was we've been pretty bullish back home on experiential as a platform to produce more creative. So when we think about event marketing, we think event marketing, if you really are filming all of it, is an incredible you know studio for production. And if you do it very efficiently, there's an opportunity to basically have one of the two things basically be free. Either the event has a cost and the creative out of it became the added value or you could even look at it the other way. Creative is way too overpriced in advertising. So, you know, in a world where there's so many campaigns that frustrate me to no end and I think there's so much opportunity, it's really hard to get my juices going at a campaign that is so clearly so well thought out and executed. And, you know, I. To me, what probably, if I, if I really had to do it and I had five hours to look at it, it would probably come in the science around the creative structure of the social creative. The thing that we are really deep on is the thumbnails, the time you post, the science around the art in social is a humongous variable and something that I don't think the industry's doing enough of yet and, and I think there's always opportunity to maximize that, including most of the things we put out into the world. Thank you. Mel. Hey, I'm Mel. Hey, Mel. I used to work with Cam. <laughs> there you go. Were you sad when you left him? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'll be completely honest. This is completely off piece, but I interviewed. You're not sure who he Zoom. is. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you a question that's less about marketing and more about leadership. So, as an entrepreneur. You're actually incredibly rare in the fact that you really believe in karma and paying it forward. And the time you give to individuals and the belief that it will pay off. Why? Because it always pays off because you don't need anything on the other side. Doing nice things is the payoff. It's just how I see humanity. You know, I don't, I don't do nice things with like, and then I'm gonna get the deal. I think that's manipulation. I think doing nice things because it's the right thing to do is the win. And so, you know, because I, why? Because I have a remarkable all-time world-class Hall of Fame mother. <laughs> that's why, actually. And so, um, I just am incredibly fortunate. Like, I really, really won the mom game. <laughs> That's the actual answer. And she's here right now. No. <laughs> Gary, this whole um, threads launching when kind of Twitter was, you know, fumbling the football a little bit. Um, 
was all, oh, is Twitter dead? You know, should I do threads? Should I do this? Should I do that? What, where should I go? Your answer on Twitter was pretty profound, or X was pretty profound. You had the most important word in marketing, and I want you to share that with us. And? And? And is the most important word in marketing. We are infatuated with or in this business, as if we don't have enough money to do everything. Right, we just, I just don't understand why we would say which one of these two should you, they, they both have attention. One of my wildest things that I'm fascinated by is when a CPG business tries to portfolio manage. They're like, all right, we have these seven brands and this beer is gonna be for women, 18 into their, and this one, and I'm like, why wouldn't you wanna sell all of them to everyone? So we do all these things in the boardroom that has nothing to do with the consumer. You know, to me, uh, you know, I, I just think that we should be doing a lot more. I know why. We, we really do have an issue. Creative is too expensive in our industry. If you have any, you know, um, time spent outside of our world in, in Silicon Valley, in small businesses, in, in influencers, in directed, like, just it's crazy how little we put out creatively for the costs we put into it. And, but once you get over that hump, Everything is and. Why wouldn't you? There's a small group of high profile uh, people in the music industry here. How do you think about marketing an artist when you're just trying to get the streams up and cost per click is gonna be way too much for, a, for, for the stream that you would get? How do you market a brand, how would you break a brand new artist if, you, if they were under your agency? By only signing artists who prove they know how to market. That's what I would do. We have a whole, you have to understand, every artist that's coming up the game now, what's that? We're gonna get you to repeat that. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, to me, we now live in a world, if you think about artists, I think we can all, you know, not every artist, there's plenty of artists in their 30s, 40s, 50s breaking, but I think we can all agree that in the music industry, quite a few of the artists that are being signed are coming up and they're in a certain age group where most of these artists now are, equally creators, right? And you know this, the A&R business has changed quite a bit. Like, you don't need to go to the bars at two in the morning and find them. You just go to the social platforms and see it. To me, it's very clear to me, and I spend a lot of time looking at emerging artists, it's very clear which artists understand how to be creatives. And I think, for me, to answer your question, I. I wouldn't take the risk of signing an artist just on the quality of the music. There's too many people with quality music and some of them also know how to create creative for the platforms that have the end consumer's attention. And then once you have that, the artist is doing the work. You can build infrastructure around them but they're native to the understanding of how to create, right? I mean, Lil, Lil Nas X is a growth hacker more like he's a growth hacker like he was at, going at that for a while and then he figured it out L- Lil Nas X is more Mr. Beast than he is Kanye West and that is a blueprint to where this is going and so you know but if I was because if you're trying to break an artist the problem is and we know this like what Logan Paul and KSI are doing with you know, Prime and what Mr. Beast is doing with Beastables, like the human now has the leverage. Most of the competitors in a meaningful way of the consumer brands in here are going to be human beings going forward. 
because the humans have such scale of audience and such understanding. This is why the creative question was such a great question. We're, we're a long ways away from commercials that people give a shit about. It's been a long time. That's <laughs> it. I'd like to unpack that a little bit. So Please introduce yourself Liz. first. Yes, good my name is Liz from Twilio Segment. Great to have you here. Thank you. Um, so I want to talk about Mad Men versus Math Men. Yes. So I think it was IBM that wrote that more data has been produced in the last two years than the existence of mankind. That's right. And with the move away from growth at all costs to profitability yes. and streamlining, um, can there be a world where creative, like creativity lives, can coexist alongside data-driven advertising and data-driven marketing? Which comes first? And you know, they, they, they have to dance together. But it's really interesting. Your question is, it, can it? And my answer is, it does everywhere but our industry. Like every, like all the things that our companies buy, the marketing that they're doing is the balance between math and art. Like that, when you're a startup or when you're a small business, that's all you look at. You know the balance. And the other part of the equation that we've systematically eliminated from this industry is common sense. My biggest frustration is when I look in a room like this with the sheer talent that the companies have stripped you away from making the common sense decision. We're just reverse engineering the report that justifies the behavior. A good MMM, which is just grading your own homework, because if the numbers don't come in right, you know, it rained on Tuesday, so we have to adjust. So does the data feed the creativity, or is it the creativity that informs the data? Both. When you're an actual practitioner of this, it works both ways. You, you make decisions and you make creative that's been informed by data, but then you're also doing a ton of creative things that you're able to then post game and learn and affirm from it. You're doing both. But like big data, everyone's got big data. Okay, now what? What are you doing with it? There's not a company in here that doesn't have unlimited fucking big data. Congrats. <laughs> you got a, you got big data. You got a great data lake. You like your data lake? <laughs> like, we're just we're we've gotten very, very far away from the consumer. Question. We've gotten very far away from the consumer. First question on this side of the room. Hey Gary, my name's Chris. I'm, hey Chris. Uh, I run Cinemano Group. We're like a content creation agency. It's a pleasure. Just want to backtrack to your previous answer. Please. Um, we're talking about in the music scene, trying to find a way for artists to break um, on the opposite end of the corporate side. We're seeing a lot of, like you said, Logan Paul, KSI. We're seeing a lot of micro and um, non-traditional creators overcoming um, the barrier where traditional content is not succeeding. Correct. So you're finding a lot of these like big brands who are struggling to land on TikTok, but then their same product is hitting with a 16 year old in the US and all of a sudden her TikTok's going viral. Do you f ever feel that there's gonna be a return where traditional and big scale companies will overtake and micro and like young creators won't have that same power anymore? Of course not. The cost of entry is equal. Corporations are slow and expensive. Of course not, they can't win. It's a merit game. <laughs> of course it worked when it was TV. Normal human beings couldn't buy television. 
You, I didn't wake up at 17, I'm like, I'm gonna buy some TV today. <laughs> no, the, the, no, it's gonna get worse, like way worse. But do you feel like the accessibility, so for example, a really big thing on TikTok at the moment is um, that talking head type of content. So Alex from Mozzie's done it really well. The big blown up subtitles, everyone's sort of got access to that now on a lower level with an iPhone and the captions app. Um, do you feel that the accessibility that's now widespread, do you feel like there's ever gonna be that time where like now budget puts you ahead or is it an even playing field thrown through now? No, because I mean, you're only talking about a creative framework that's working this second. Things are moving too fast. Budget isn't the variable of success. Being consumer centric is. I, I, you know, our industry is getting really far away from that. You know, the Barbie execution won on different relevance points. Like, we're not trading on relevance enough. This industry runs on a book that was written in 1991. It is, it's just, it's, you know, like the, the basic principles of frequency and reach dictate the way big companies market. The concept and the book came out in 1991. The internet didn't exist. I mean, it did, but you know what I mean, right? So, no, I don't think our production money is gonna help us win the game of merit when we're becoming less consumer-centric, not more. We literally think that our brand positioning should be a vanilla statement that means something to everyone. By nature, it means that it means nothing to no one. Like, every single brand positioning that everyone trades on in our industry is like, just some cockamanian four words to, Toyota's brand positioning is let's go places. <laughs> like, what do we do with that? <laughs> like, they're still gonna make a video with a fucking car going up a mountain. <laughs> like, we're really, we're just not having real conversations and when you don't have real conversations for a long period of time, bad shit happens. But I can tell you one thing, in the last 20 years is the biggest brands in the world have lost market share because of the reality of the internet. Holding companies have made a lot of money. Why? Because they separated media and creative and now they don't have to be held accountable. It's really hard to be a service provider when you're beholden to your shareholders. The, the bigger question is why do, why do why does this industry spend most of its money on TV and programmatic? Uh, because I can tell you those are the two most profit centers for agencies, and I find that curious. Couldn't agree more. We've got one last question, lucky last. Hi Gary, Hi. we met this morning. Yes. Um, so it's interesting though, because you said that um, you're making more Super Bowl ads than any other company. How are you affecting change? Because I see Super Bowl ads as probably the most expensive, overproduced, creative probably ever, so what's the change there? Our thesis is not that television's bad or social's good, our thesis is that we should buy the best attention for the best price we can. We believe that Super Bowl is the single best deal in marketing in the world. That for eight million dollars we get 170 million Americans actually wanting to watch our 30 seconds. To your point, that's just the media buy. The media buy is the best on actualized consumption, actual reach, not potential reach. To your point, the issue is most agencies use that 30 seconds to be a showcase for their agency, not to drive the actual business result. And 
most brands want to spend on a celebrity, which ends up building the brand of the celebrity, not the brand. So I think there's a lot left to do proper advertising within a spot, but we view Super Bowl as the most underpriced media globally. Like, we look at everything. I mean, out World Cup patches, there, there's some hacks there, but to get 170 million people to want to watch your 30 second, people don't want to watch your social media videos either. It's just that it's so well integrated into the product and if you're good at making them, people will watch them. Right, if, if, if social media feeds had the same natural break that television had, nobody would watch them either. We're prepped to not watch. We're conditioned to not watch. Super Bowl is the reverse. The entire country of America is excited for the whole week to actually watch the advertising. So that's a profound opportunity. So we see that a little bit different. Are we allowed one more question? Please. Netflix advertising. Yes. Wait, 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 just wait, because we need to get you recorded. Can we get a mic? (laughs) Here you go. (laughs) Video AVOD, streaming advertising. What do you think? So, I think that um, the targeting capabilities of the future of television and streaming AVOD, fast channels, all of it is really profound. It is much more akin to the Google, Facebook ecosystem and it's really exciting. My concern is that the unit itself is still gonna be so hard stop disruptive. You know, to me, I think where TV has a real opportunity since they control the distribution is to actually start integrating product into shows even if they don't own the production company. Since they own the distribution, they might be able to start partnering directly with the production companies. So my intuition tells me it's not gonna be as great as it could be because it's gonna be, again, too disruptive. Um, But I haven't seen it. I can tell you that the Roku ad product, targeting-wise, is is incredible. Um, But, look, I think, I think, for a lot of people here, they're under-investing in YouTube in a real way. Like in a real way, there's a real opportunity. Um, and I think the streaming services for the sevens and for all the biggest global you know, media companies in the world is a real opportunity to reinvent. I'm just concerned we're just gonna do the same thing that we did on linear and cable. What's that? But with data. Yeah, the data, the data of like targeting is, it, that in itself makes the product 10 times better. I'm, I'm very excited about that. But the creative is, look, creative is still the variable of success. Like the ad is the punchline. Um, my big thing is that we, we just got so accustomed to assuming it was actually seen and we do so many things to cover up the stuff that's not working. We're really sales organizations, there's shopper marketing, there's retail media, there's, in um, scoring systems that are adjustable if it didn't work out. There's just a lot of weird shit going on. And um, I like merit more than weird shit. (laughs) Gary, I think I speak for everyone, the billion dollars in this room, (laughs) where I'm gonna say a huge thank you. So everyone give Gary a real round of applause. Thank you.